Hello, and welcome to the Old Soul Archaeology Podcast. My name is Michelle Janae. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Are you ready to dig deep? Hello, and welcome back to Old Soul Archaeology. My name is Michelle Janae, and my guest today is Debbie Emick. Debbie, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me today, Michelle. This is my pleasure. I'm just so grateful for this time and space with you. Awesome. I just want to introduce you really quickly to our listeners. Debbie Emick is the author of The Other Side of Perfect, Discovering the Mind-Body Connection to Healing Chronic Illness. And she is also co-creator and blogger at GoBucketYourself.com. She is co-host of the One Life Live It podcast. She lives on the plains of southeastern Colorado with her husband, two daughters, Denali the dog, and her six chickens. When she's not traveling to the mountains, the beach, or Spanish-speaking countries, you'll find her there in her sunroom or on her back porch sipping hot tea. (laughs) How delightful. (laughs) Yeah, my favorite thing, so. (laughs) Thank you. Sorry. Thank you for that nice introduction. Absolutely. Thank you for for sojourning with us today. I love that this idea of the other side of perfection or the other side of perfect, as uh, I (laughs) use the label former to delineate that I'm no longer there, but still struggle, former compulsive people-pleasing rule follower. Does that ring a bell for you? (laughs) Oh, yes, I relate. People-pleasing and perfectionism for me kind of go hand in hand for sure. So those are hard, hard uh, coping mechanisms to untangle from, aren't they? They very much so very much. So they, they have their claws dug in fiercely, but I'd love to hear your story. Like, let's talk about the other side of perfect for you. Sure. So that really, um, the awareness of this perfectionism, people pleasing, um, trait just has been this very long journey for me that started about 10 years ago when I began having these health problems that I couldn't ignore anymore. A lot of physical pain in my body that was interfering with my daily life, just living the way I wanted to. And so I couldn't ignore it any longer. I um, started going to doctors and seeking uh, medical help. And that led me through this very winding road of autoimmune disease diagnosis and treatment. And so at one point I was on nine different prescription medications three times a day and feeling awful still. And so slowly, um, because of many factors and, and much support, I was able to begin taking back my own power, like one small thing at a time. Right. So I, I switched doctors. I, um, started working on my nutrition and I began, I began eliminating toxicity in my environment, the products I used. Um, I, I started using movement with my body. Um, and eventually I had this conversation with my rheumatologist that led me to believe that if I left my job, uh, I would leave my stress behind. I, I, It was a, I had a career in classroom teaching. So I'd been a teacher for 14 years and I thought this is the magic bullet. Finally, I'll leave my job. I'll leave all my stress behind and everything will be good. I'll just magically heal. And it wasn't until after I left my job, I tried everything I knew to heal and get better. And I, 
I found myself in my deepest, darkest place then. So still in pain, still sick, and now in this really deep, dark hole. And so everything from that point was me just trying to claw myself out of that to, um, at that point, really my only motivation was to break cycles for my own daughters and not start new ones. Um, and, and never go back there. Right. And so that led me through my own mental, emotional healing, working on some repressed emotions and past trauma, uh, that I had never dealt with. And as I began to heal in that way, I felt this physical pain leave my body. And so there was no real denial then anymore at that point that these things are related in my body and my system somehow. And, and it was really through that, that I was able to come to a consciousness of, uh, using perfectionism and people pleasing to control myself, my environment, keep people at arm's length, um, never deal with this pain inside, you know, thinking I just forgot it and moved on. Um, and so all of that just began, you know, you can see the relationship between all of that and true healing meant becoming conscious of all of that and sort of unraveling all of that and coming to a different place of dealing with myself and my health. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine that f- leaving the job had to be maybe, maybe I'm not sure what the right word would be, but I think bittersweet, like, right. You're, you're hoping for this healing and yet it was everything you knew. I'm sure you had kids that you loved and you loved the teaching. Um, and then you come to find out that it wasn't the magic pill. It wasn't immediate, right? We want to snap our fingers and have it all be better. But I still get this sense that it was the beginning of the healing for you in some way. Um, And wow, those deep, dark nights of the soul are, are, oh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about the perfection, perfectionism piece a little bit more. And I love the fact that you talked about breaking cycles. Because I, I think that in my life, my daughters have also been my motivation for doing the same so that in a sense, there's some healing in me that passes on to them what we might call collective or even ancestral mm-hmm. healing. What did you do or what were the awarenesses that you had or the tools that you used to be able to break the cycle? Because they're so ingra- it's almost like it's almost like chopping off a limb to take away this tendency, at least for myself Mm -hmm. to please people, or I don't, you know, there are days when I'm like, well, I don't know what it would be like to be me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Who would that be? So what tools did you find were the most helpful? Uh, There's so much there that I want to say. Um, But yeah, I, I just need to echo what you said in that, like, leaving the career that I had tied up my purpose in was definitely a first step, right? It gave me time, space, energy that I hadn't had before, but it also exposed my ego in a way that I never really knew, uh, I had, um, being a people pleaser, being a perfectionist, um, my identity was tied up in who I thought other people wanted me to be and showing up in a way I thought they wanted me to show up. So just like you said, I didn't know who I was 
underneath that, beyond that. And leaving my job was the first step in exposing that. You know, my ego didn't talk to me in a way that was like, you know, I'm great. This is how I'm going to show how great I am. It talked to me in a really mean uh, way. And so um, awareness first was just that really depth of darkness and coming out of that winter, literally and metaphorically into spring and being able to look back and see how low it got and how, how much lower it could have gotten. Um, I knew I couldn't do that to my family or my girls. And so I couldn't find a worthiness in me, but I could find it in them. Right. And so my first step was just, they were worthy of something more. And the way awareness works, right? Like once you begin seeing, you can't unsee. <laughs> and so I wasn't always so good at noticing without judging at first, but at least I was noticing. And then there were all these synchronicities working at the same time. So at the same time as I'm saying, how could you be 33, 34 years old and not know who you are and not know what you want? You know, that wasn't the example I wanted for my daughters. And I was starting to see the example or the unconscious things I was showing and teaching my daughters. Um, and so I went to this chiropractor for this superficial fix, like looking for a recommendation for a probiotic. And she did some energy and somatic work with me that sort of opened up this hole that I, I didn't remember. I, I mean, not literally remember, but it was like, I thought I had just forgotten it and moved on. Um, and at the same time I was reading Brene Brown and learning about shame and being authentic and vulnerable and realizing how much my shame had grown because I hid it away in darkness. I, I was learning from Glennon uh, Doyle and that's when I sort of picked up this idea of my perfectionism and people pleasing. And I began to see that as a real addiction. So um, I tried other things to numb and cope when I was younger, right? But those things didn't help me feel in control. They felt the opposite for me. And so slowly as time went on, I just got better and better at this perfecting and people pleasing thing. And yeah, like you said, deciding not to react in those ways was like letting go of an addiction. And, uh, I still haven't fully arrived there. You know, there's some regression and some going back, um, moving forward, but yeah, it feels good. That's a good way to numb, to cope, to deny, to cover, to mask. Right. And so this is very exposed and it's about learning to find a new way to do all of those things, to not numb, to not deny or mask or cover. And so it feels really, really rough at first. Um, what kept me going at first was this love for my daughters, but eventually the more I, I worked through it, the more love I was able to find in myself as I trusted my own intuition and stepped forward in it and learned not to judge myself or my talk, just be the noticer, right? Um, that intuition began to grow and I began to be able to love and care for myself so that at first when I was healing all these things that I, I did to heal, like working on my food or my exercise became a way to over perfect and over control. Um, so just like over controlling my food until 
I probably wasn't eating enough. I was super obsessive about it over exercising until it was like almost a punishing extent. So when I was able to expose the perfectionism, people pleasing tendency, I was able to unwrap that until eventually I could use those things in a loving way. Right. So use food in a way to love and care for my body, use movement in a way to love and care for my body. Um, so that's a really long answer that I hope hits those notes that were in your question. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that you brought it back to self-love. And I, I um, had read a book called Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It by Kamal mm -hmm. Ravikant. And in it, he, he says, if I truly loved myself today or in this moment, what would I do? Mm -hmm. And I wish I could go back a few months <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, you know, over time, many times in my life, I'm sure there are places where, where I wish I could have done that. And, and yet we, at least for me, I still have this uh, dichotomy. I, I, I wouldn't say paradox just yet, because I'm looking forward to it becoming a paradox and not a dichotomy. But this split where we, uh, at least personally, I grew up it's, you know, love others, love others, love others. And this sense of unworthiness and not only unworthiness, but worthlessness. Mm -hmm. And now I, I started a, a Facebook project called love yourself experience. I didn't want it to be an experiment. I didn't want it to be a project. I wanted to, wanted it to be an experience. And yet, as we move through this, like, posting every day became very hard for me. It became mm -hmm. a, um, not a chore, I don't think, but what it did become was this, uh, this call to self that was saying, wait a minute, just what are you saying? <laughs> and who, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I went into this, pro this experience wanting to do it completely for myself, but inviting other people to experience and witness, and then also have their own journey through it. So that's been very interesting. So I want to dig into that self-love a little bit deeper because it is interesting that you said that when you couldn't find it within yourself, you did it for your daughters. Is that, is that part of the secret to coming back to self-love is doing mm -hmm. it in the meantime for someone else? Or <laughs> I know there are no secrets, right? There's no <laughs> yeah. What happened to work for you? So I guess that was my path, right? And there's no real saying if there's another way. But I guess if we could look at it in terms of we're all just little kids in these bigger bodies and different clothes probably, right? And so these unconscious uh, behaviors, patterns, coping mechanisms I was acting out in my own life um, finally became clear to me, like where that led eventually, if I didn't address it and, um, what that would do to my daughters. And so, yeah, I don't know if it's the magic path or the right path, but it did eventually lead me to a path of my own internal love, realizing that I couldn't actually give until I loved myself. I couldn't, until I found that within myself, it was all like, do as I say, not as I do probably. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is not an effective way to teach or, you know, carry on or heal ancestral trauma. Um, um, but little by little that awareness seeped in. And so 
some other things happened in the process of like seeking out connection with people that um, I thought could help and support me and their help and support came in forms of encouraging self-love and self-expression and getting to know myself and what I wanted and needed better. Right. And so that's what I say about the synchronicities. It was just like um, just trusting enough that if I took one tiny next step, it would lead to the next step after that. And luckily it did. And luckily that awareness came that I can't do the real work I want as a mother, if I don't love myself first, but yeah, there's so much untangling of childhood narratives. And, uh, I don't, no one, I don't think in my life intentionally, uh, told me these things of unworthiness. They didn't want me to believe that. Right. But there's so many unconscious, um, behaviors that I'm untangling. Like you said, calling it ancestral is, is true. Um, and I was raised in a tradition that I took upon myself as an unworthiness just by being born. And so my life became this proving that I was good enough, that I was, I could be good, you know? Um, and so, yeah, that's still like a point of where probably my family and I would not agree at this point that, you know, um, worthiness is, is not inherently given. And now I know, I mean, I have my own internal knowing that it is just because I'm here, you know? Um, but it took a long time to get there and to be confident in that belief and that feeling. Yeah. That that's a beautiful point because I think too, um, I could say the same thing. None of it was ever intentional, but they were brought up believing the same things they taught me. And so, mm -hmm. and so on and so on. Um, but I'm coming to that place too, that yes, we are worth, worth everything worth love worthy because we're here. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's more of a, an Eastern philosophy than a Western philosophy for sure. And it's interesting that, um, we're opening up to that. I think more in the West We're we're a little bit tired yeah. <laughs> of the other story. And there, you know, there are not to be cliche or anything, but it really is true that when you change your story, you change your life. Yeah. Right? When whole yeah, I'm sorry. I don't want to interrupt you, but when you play that out, how do I show up in the world in any role I play if I believe I'm inherently worthy versus how do I show up in the world when I believe I am not? So which story do I want to choose? Because I get to choose. I mean, that's what it comes down to, right? Just like you're saying, I get to rewrite it. And so if I, if I choose to believe I'm inherently unworthy, play that out one year from now, two years from now, three, how does that work out for me and my daughters and whatever role I play in the world? how does it play out if I choose to believe I'm inherently worthy and which way do we want to go? You know? Yeah, that's, it's a great point. But I think for me, like, I don't know about my listeners, but I would have to say for me, just knowing I had a choice mm. was a huge missing piece of that puzzle, knowing that I could choose, knowing that actually <laughs> that I was worthy enough to choose <laughs> for myself. So it yeah. almost became like this, um, 
this double-edged sword that, you know, just kept perpetuating the lie. Um, so I think too, where you talked about finding a community of people that would encourage you and mm-hmm. model, right? The same thing you want to do for your children, you have had in other people. And I so appreciate that in my life too. So I want to dig in a little bit to your wildness because in, in the beginning of your book, you wrote what I would call a poem. Um, it's an ode to yourself, I think, mm. where you talk about um, growing up wild and then moving to the city and then feeling alone. And this is the, the pattern your book follows as well. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Talk about your, your wildness and maybe come back around to your rewilding? Sure. Um, gosh, I did. I, I was born and raised until I, you know, I was still a young child, but in this very wild place in Southeastern Colorado on a farm and ranch. And, um, that's the best memory I can have of it. Just wild, um, really only good conscious memories of that time in my life. And, um, my parents were very young and wanted more. And eventually we left that wild place and over years and over time, we, um, our family broke apart. And so this was a big part of my healing was being able to revisit that, that time in my life that I never, we never talked about, we never addressed it certainly not at the time. Um, and so over that breaking apart and coming back together and breaking apart again, um, my dad and, and my relationship with him just slowly left my life until we really didn't have a relationship anymore. And my mom and some codependency that she either had or developed welcomed in a couple of alcoholic stepfathers. And so, um, that's really a lot where that like numbing and coping mechanism comes with from, you know, um, the, the changing relationship with my mom and these, um, behavior mechanisms, coping mechanisms that come along with those addictions, um, came into my life at a time my father wasn't in my life until eventually I was like crashing on the couches in the basements of friends' homes and not really living with either parent. Um, And so as I began to heal, it became obvious like uh, I had to actually acknowledge and release that part of myself that I had thought I just like you know, forgave and move on, but I was really just holding it so closely there, like denying that it happened. And, and through doing that, I just felt this real metaphor in my life, right? Um, in this dark moment of the soul, as we were talking about before we began this conversation, it was an invitation to come back to myself. Um, when for so many years I was stepping farther and farther away from myself, Mm -hmm. I was, um, denying, you know, all that I am. And so, um, there is that Clarissa, Pinkle Estes quote at the beginning about, um, there are doors, there are invitations. And for me, that dark moment, my illness getting, you know, working on health and recovery from that, those were my doors back to my wild self. And so for me, 
uh, rewilding. I think you called it that I've heard it called that by other people. Um, it really meant just learning who I was underneath all of that, beginning to trust myself and my own intuition, beginning to step toward that. And, um, I, you know, I've, I'm not the person to quote for this, but it's like truly becoming is about coming back to yourself, not, uh, you know, coming to some new version of yourself. And that's what it felt like to me, like uh, coming back to this wild version that didn't really worry or care about what other people thought of me or, or wanted me to be or, or needed me to be, but really coming back to this um, internal grounded place of knowing and being outside of all of that. Yeah, that sounds very Eastern too. Sounds Taoist. It sounds like mm. the hero's journey. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Definitely. I want to read that quote uh, by Clarissa Pinkola Estes um, that is in the preface of your book. I'll tell you right now, the doors to the world of the wild self are few, but precious. If you have a deep scar, that is a door. If you have an old, old story, that is a door. If you love the sky and the water so much, you cannot, you almost cannot bear it. That is a door. If you yearn for a deeper life, a full life, a sane life, that is a door. Clarissa Pinkola Estes. Oh, so much good there, right? I just feel like it's so empowering to trust yourself, to trust uh, the guidance that however, whatever your tradition is, you feel like wherever you're getting that guidance it's not going to lead you the wrong way. Um, and so, yeah, for me, that's really empowering. And clearly I wanted a sane life uh, much more than I felt I had. So isn't it funny that the sane life is actually the wild one? <laughs> yes, that is. There you go. There's that paradox instead of the uh, uh, dichotomy, right? Is that that's what you right. were talking about? Yeah. 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 Well, I love that she's, I mean, her quote even says it, it's the doors to the world of the wild self. Mm -hmm. And you know what else I think is so empowering about that is not seeing myself as broken or something is wrong with me because of uh, a yearning or something that happened to me. Right. So um, these times in my life that may have from someone else's perspective, broken me or made me feel bad about myself or shameful. And certainly for me, they did for many years. I carried that around, uh, hiding it away, but this isn't about that, right? It's not about being broken. It's just about those things lead us to what's meant for us, right? Those are the doors. Those are the openings. Um, and yeah, I just think it's empowering, like to look at it from that sense, instead of like, I'm broken. How do I fix myself? Yeah. How, how do I please people and control my life to, yeah. to, to be sane, quote unquote, yes. while I go crazy? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, that, there's a, there's the difference, right? The difference between the crazy life and the wild one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Very good. I love that. She says there are few doors but they keep coming up for us. They keep giving us the opportunity, right? If we don't get it, it's like they, they, we, they talk about the lessons that if we don't learn them, they come back. Those are the doors, right? Those mm -hmm. are the opportunities to come back to self. So let's talk about that for a moment. 
in this idea of trusting yourself that you had said, uh, Debbie, what is, how, or, or how would you say people today that are feeling this, this sense of frustration, the sense of lostness, this sense of maybe, maybe they're hearing the call of the wild, but they don't quite know what to do and they don't really trust themselves. What is, uh, what are some things that they can do to reconnect with their own intuition? Well, I think that for me first, I needed to hold it very lightly. Right. I mean, I was used to like trying to appear perfect though. I never thought I was, no one else did, uh, and please other people. And we've talked about, you know, the traditions that I was raised in sort of adding to that, um, and, and having to come to a sense of like, it's going to be okay if I maybe listen to some other teachers and, and learn some new information. Um, and then just approaching it from more of a sense of curiosity instead of like, what is my purpose? Why, you know, like putting all this weight on it, just hold it loosely. Um, and that sounds so easy when I say it like that. And I know respectfully that it is very hard to come to that place from another place, but in doing so, uh, you can just take one step at a time in from this light, curious sense, rather than putting a lot of weight and pressure on it. And if it's wrong, it's wrong, right? That's all. It just, that's another guide showing you the right direction. And so I had to start looking at it from that perspective and also seek guidance, comfort, encouragement from people in my life that could support me through that. So it meant like, I never really talked about myself much to people. And this meant showing up for myself in that way saying, look, this is what I'm working on. Can you support me in this? Can you help me with this? Cause I'm going to need your help. I think. Um, so I'm trying to think of another, another, way to move after that. Um, essentially I believe that my intuition is like source guiding me and leading me. And so I began to feel that energy inside myself. And that's probably where that worthiness came from. Mm -hmm. And then that's so much more empowering, right? Um, just feeling like this is source talking to me and guiding me and, and leading me. Um, I would say the, the final thing is that like, you don't have to know all the steps. You just have to know the one next step. That's it. And I believe that is so true. Like it's okay to have a vision. Um, but once we get so caught up in the product, the end, it's really hard to see how to get there. And so, um, a lot of what I've done and how I show up now is just what's just the next step. I'll worry about the other ones after I finish just the next one. And it really helps. It helps to know what the next step is. It helps to recalibrate if necessary. It helps me hold it lightly um, and not put so much pressure on it. Or, you know, sometimes we just strangle something because we're so focused on it or worried about it or, or whatever. So hope that's absolutely. helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, <laughs> not to uh, look for a, a mutual admiration society, but it, it happens. And, and I feel that with you. <laughs> mm. 
that also archaeology was really a vision of for myself having come from the people pleasing uh, perspective finding my way back to intuition what i call source and that was that's what i consider an old soul it's um you know as much as i've studied lightly past lives and things like that and believe that it could be a possibility it's not something i was raised to believe and so that's really irrelevant for me um at least on the surface of old soul archaeology but it's really about daring to dig deep enough to connect with that part of you that is divine Mm. and there are traditions that want us to think that the divine is just out there some and is is maybe bearded and maybe mean and (laughs) you know all of these things right and yet Mm. I do believe that we all have this connection to source within us and that old soul archaeology is really digging deep to trust something I'm still very much in the process of learning and I'm grateful for Um, teachers like yourself. And I mean that in the most humble and respectful way, because while I know you would say, you know, I'm not the one to quote, but you are at least as worthy as Eckhart Tolle or as that, you know, it it really is true. I really believe that we're all on this, on this walk and we don't know who we're meant to touch and who we aren't. And so Mm -hmm. I want to honor you by saying that you've already touched me in so many ways in just a short amount of time. And I know that your book has touched many and will touch many more. Um, and you'll, you'll touch the listeners. So, um, that's just some self-love for you. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Gosh, those are, I mean, I still definitely struggle with believing that and telling myself that, but I, fully appreciate all of your words. And I'm, I'm so grateful and, uh, right back to you, you know, just, this is an amazing space and, um, just the ability to be able to talk about this with someone else here in this space and hope that someone else might hear and feel inspired by you or anything I've said is a great hope for sure. Yeah, absolutely. For those people that are still in the place where they're not real sure, but they're, they're starting to listen. They're starting to trust. They're, they're looking to others to say, it's okay to give yourself permission to be curious about mm-hmm. being worthy and being your own source of wisdom, um, both literally and, you know, on, on the uh, mundane side and the cosmic or divine side for sure. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, running out of time here. So I want to talk really quickly. My last question is about your book. And I know that your focus because of your story has been on chronic illness, but your book is not just for people with chronic illness. And I know you have a lovely Amazon review that says, I wasn't sure if this book would be for me, but she, she loved it. And she wasn't, uh, she didn't suffer with chronic illness. Tell me about what your hope for this book, both for your children and for your readers. Well, just full disclosure, at first it was really just my greatest hope to help me release uh, Mm -hmm. what I had been holding so tightly and heal myself, right? Um, But then it became this, this, there was some clarity that it was more than that and that I needed to keep going and hold this commitment to myself and to my own trust and intuition. Um, And so it's a love letter really to all of those people that once I started uh, 
actually giving a voice to what I was going through instead of hiding it away came to me, um, feeling burned out or sick or tired or unsure, or, uh, you know, there's a certain stage in our life. That's probably different for each person. What age that is, where we just really start to question how we're showing up and how we should move forward. And it became clear that there were so many people out there, whether they had a diagnosis or not, that were just seeking some sort of, um, answer or they needed someone to help them or tell them what to do. And so I knew from my own experience that I gave away my power to doctors and medicines for so long that those weren't the answer. Um, and so, yeah, this is for those, those people that came to me seeking answers and validation and, and just wanting to know. Um, and so as I wrote it, you know, it was necessary to tell that full story of beginning in a wild place and coming to this place of feeling alone and isolated because of what I had gone through and the coping mechanisms I developed and then how I became real, right? Um, and so in that second half of the book about getting real or going back to my wild self, I have some journal prompts that I included in there to hopefully help the reader go along with their own healing, um, whatever it may be. Uh, we don't really get to this place of adulthood without some sort of something we're carrying around. And so, yeah, that's, that's what it is. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. When you said becoming real, I was the velveteen rabbit popped into my yeah. head. Oh, I love, love that, that story. Me too. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you can find the other side of perfect on Amazon, both hardcover paperback and Kindle editions um, by Debbie Emick. Yeah. Debbie, I want to let everybody know where they can find you. Sure. Um, you can really find the book anywhere online that you find that you buy your book. So if you prefer to buy it from like an independent retailer, there are definitely some places online that you can pick it up there, or you can go to gobucketyourself.com forward slash books, and we'll help you find it from there. I've also developed like a 30 day companion journal to go along with it. So if you want a little more to do your own healing, to develop your own self-love and worthiness, that journal will be what can help you along the way. Um, if you want to connect to me personally, you can find me on Instagram at imperfectprogress.me. So it's I M perfectprogress.me and send me a message. I will answer you. I would love to connect. Um, you can also email me through gobucketyourself.com, but lots of ways to connect that way. I have to say, since we didn't really talk about your your blog, Go Bucket Yourself, is is a beautiful blog about uh, your bucket list and, and living a, a life that is worthy of you because you are worthy. Um, both Debbie and her husband, Chris, participate in the posts and um, the podcast. So you can check that out as well. Uh, very inspirational. I read a few of the posts and it was just, just what I needed. Oh, thank you. Everything we do there blog podcast events, hopefully down the road are just to empower people to begin to step toward the life they want today and not keep putting it off for someday. Right. So yeah. that's the goal there. We hope it does help. So important. All the links will be available where the podcast is published. 
Debbie, again, thank you so much for sojourning with me today. I really appreciate having you as a guest. Thank you, Michelle. This is entirely my pleasure. I really appreciate it. Wonderful. This has been an old soul sojourn with Debbie, also known as Deb (laughs) Emick, Mm -hmm. and her book, The Other Side of Perfect. Thank you for tuning in. And until next time, dare to dig deep.